Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley. Today, we bring you a conversation between Loida Martel and myself on answering the call. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HTI Open Plaza. My name is Stephen DiTrolio Coakley, and I have the pleasure of sitting with Reverend Dr. Loida Martel, who is the Vice President for Academic Affairs and the Dean at Lexington Theological Seminary. Welcome. Thank you. Good we're, to be here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor. I would love for you if you could speak a little bit about that transition between being a doctor of veterinary sciences to becoming <clears throat> a reverend and to becoming a doctor in the academic sense, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners here are thinking of, well, how do I discern? Maybe I'm feeling that tugging, or maybe I'm thinking about something, or maybe, because for you it's quite a switch going from practicing animal medicine to becoming a reverend. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about that. It, you know, in a sense, it really isn't a big change. It is and it isn't. Um, um, there's a lot of the skills from veterinary medicine that I brought into the pastorate and I bring into my theological thinking. So <clears throat> I, I just want to clarify yeah. that. So let me, let me begin by saying that um, um, I had always dreamed of being a veterinarian. Um, it was a lifelong dream. And... Um, um, it was almost an impossible dream because when I was growing up in Puerto Rico, uh, there were no w- women veterinarians. I believe there was one, but she wasn't Puerto Rican, and I didn't know about her. Um, and so when I talked about um, being a veterinarian to the local veterinarians, they would laugh at me. Mm-hmm. Um, they would make jokes. One of them uh, made a joke about a cow sitting on me and things of that nature. Um, but I, I persisted uh, to use a, 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 a recent uh, a, a, a phrase. I, I persisted. Um, and, um, and so uh, to get into veterinary school was, was an, amazing, uh, an amazing thing. It was difficult. Um, um, there's a, a situation in which there are so few veterinary schools that to get into them, um, the state in which you are in has to have a contract with the veterinary school that you want to get into. Um, um, the, 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 uh, the chances of getting into veterinary school are one in 20. The chances of getting into med school are one in three. That just gives you an idea of how difficult it is. Um, and so, praise God, I got into veterinary school. Yeah. And so I was the first Puerto Rican woman to get into Tuskegee University's um, School of Veterinary Medicine. And so um, after four years of college, four years of veterinary medicine, I, I went to the island, I practiced. But as I was practicing, I began to also get a sense that there was something deeper, that God was calling me to something deeper. And um, so I was very involved in my church. I became uh, a Sunday school teacher. I became a youth counselor. Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 I attended the services. Getting involved. I got involved. Um, but I was also going through an existential 
crisis mm. that nobody was aware of. Tell us about that. Um, it, it, it was very complex. I, I, I'm not going to get very much into it. It was very complex. Um, but part of it was that it's interesting when you, you, you struggle so much to acquire a goal, and I struggled so much to, to get to veterinary medicine, and then you get it, and then suddenly you don't know who you are. Mm. And uh, a lot of my colleagues expressed the same thing when we all finished. That after that euphoria of graduation, we all looked at each other and we were sort of like, "What am I doing? What's next? Yeah, you know, who am who am I? Because I'm no longer a student, and people are looking to me for these answers, and I may not have those answers. Mm. And so it became. It, it, they started sort of this existential angst. There were other things happening in my home that sort of contributed to that. And I remember going to this uh, elder in my church and saying to him, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. And the person said, I can't help you because you're a doctor and I'm not, and hmm. you're so smart and I'm not, and I can't help you, and sort of left me there. And so um, the, the, the thing got to a, a, a point in which I, I stopped going to church. Hmm. Um, I, I never stopped believing. I just stopped going to church for a time. And, um, and in the midst of that, that, um, that, that uh, crisis, uh, somebody invited me to a prayer service. And the prayer service was because there was a leader of the church who was going to go to ministry. She was okay. going to move from Puerto Rico to, to, the Isle, to, to, to the United States, and they wanted to pray for her. And, and so they invited me. And, and so I went. And, um, and uh, as they were praying for her, Somebody started speaking in tongues, and I thought, oh, that is so cool that God is going to speak to this person and send her off. That is, like, so amazing. And, you know, everybody has their eyes shut. I have my eyes shut. And the person who started speaking in tongues started then speaking in, in Spanish and started saying, you know, I'm calling you the servant, and you're going to be a, a great servant of the Lord, and, and I'm going to use you. And, and I, like, I'm so moved. I'm, I'm in tears here. And, I, and I'm just thinking, that is so cool that this person is going to the States and God is blessing her like this. That is like so awesome. And suddenly I feel this person's hands on my head. Hmm. And I, I kid you not, I opened up my eyes and I thought, and everybody's eyes are closed, including this woman who's speaking and has her hands on me. And I thought to myself, God, God, she's got her hands on the wrong person. Oh, that's too good. God, please open up her eyes. She's got the wrong person. Psst, it's the person next to me. Oh, that's so funny. And and I'm so I'm so appalled because I'm I'm a sinner. You're at the prayer meeting I'm, for this lady. I'm a sinner in angst. I'm yeah. a person lapsed, and she's blessing the wrong person. The person who's dedicating their life is standing next to me, and suddenly there's like this peace that entered my life, and it's like, no, the words are for you. Wow. This calling is for you. Wow. And I. It wasn't know, a mistake. I, I wasn't a mistake. God does not make mistakes. And I did not know what to do with that. And after the service, everybody's like, ¿Qué tremendo, ¿Qué yeah, tremendo? Yeah. And I'm, I'm inside, I'm going like, this is horrible. Nobody knows what a terrible person I am. Nobody knows. And, you know, and I, I just, I didn't say anything. And about 
two weeks later, I'm teaching Sunday school class. I went back to church. I'm teaching Sunday school class. Or maybe it was about a month later, about a month later. This woman comes into my class. The says, same one? No, somebody different, totally different. different. Yeah. I, I was going to this church of 3,000 people. Believe it or not, there were people in there that didn't, we didn't know each other. Of course. Somebody comes into my class and says, who's Loida? And somebody said, she's a, you know, it was after just the class I just finished. Mm -hmm. That's her, the teacher. And they point to me. The woman comes up to me. She says, the Lord has sent me to anoint you. Pulls out oil, anoints me with oil, and says word for word what the woman in the prayer service had said. Just in case you needed a little confirmation. And now my mouth is open. <laughs> okay, a few months pass now. I'm, I'm involved in, in, in this Sunday school class that started with three people, ended up with 150 people, got split in two, ended up with two classes of 75 people. The person who had invited me to be an, uh, an assistant with him, he took one class, I took the other. Both groups grew. Um, and then I came up with the idea of a young adult group. Uh, but before we even got that far, we had a retreat of the youth. So it's both groups. Now, you have to understand, the, the youth in, in, in this church, there were four youth groups. There were, there were three pre-youth groups. I mean, this was, an, this, 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 was an, this was a huge church. So a retreat of the youth was like 120 to 150 kids would go to this group. And so I, I was invited to um, help, help out, but I was also then invited to be on a panel. And on this panel, uh, they, they chose the topic of sin, and I was supposed to be a panelist to talk about sin. And there were three of us. And, and I noticed after a while that every time it came to me, the person who was moderating it would cut me off. She would give me less time. And I, and I didn't understand why she was doing this. And I was getting a little frustrated, but you know, I took it in stride. And, and we, we each had three turns. On the third turn, I don't know what came over me, and I just started speaking from the heart about God's grace in the face of sin. Hmm. And by the time I finished speaking, I realized we had gone over time, and all of a sudden I looked up, and I looked around, and everybody's staring at me with their mouths open. The moderator's staring at me with her mouth open. And then she addresses the group, and she says, I have to apologize to Loida. I have to admit that I had cut her off because I didn't want to hear her talk about sin. Hmm. But I now realize that God had a word for us. And then she turns to me and she proceeds to say the very same words that had been said to me in the prayer service that had been said by the woman who anointed me and now she said it. See, by that time, by that point I said, okay, there's something here and I have to pay attention to this. And so I took three months to pray. Hmm. And because by that time I thought, whatever decision I make, whatever this is, it's going to take me from Puerto Rico and it's going to take me from veterinary medicine. 
I still didn't know what it was. Yeah. So I, I took three months of what I call prayer and discernment. And a friend of mine had a cabin by the beach on the western end of the island. And every weekend, I got, I got so brown, you couldn't tell me from my uniform. Every <laughs> weekend, I'd go to the beach, and, I, and all I would do was pray. And, just, and it was like a little mini retreats that I would take. And things got clearer and clearer for me. And, um, and uh, we... Uh, we, we invited a lady to, to, to our youth groups to, to talk one day. I didn't know her. And um, the same thing happened. She, she started speaking in tongues. She's, and, and purposely, purposely, I stood in the back of the room behind a pile of chairs so that nobody would see me. And that lady walked among the, the hundred kids that were there behind the pile of chairs and found me. She found you. And said, I have a word of God for you. And proceeded to speak about my calling. So at that point, I knew that, okay, I can't run from this. And, uh, and then began to explore And things. what were those next steps like? And so those next steps were, I don't know what this means. And so I started uh, looking to the Seminario Puerto Rico, and the doors closed to that, and I couldn't mm. understand. And things started coming apart in my job, and I couldn't understand that either. And so um, I, re I, I gave in my letter of resignation to my job because I was going to go into ministry. Yeah. And the minute I gave in my letter of resignation, I started getting all kinds of offers for veterinary medicine. Oh, wow. And I said, I don't understand this, God. I, I gave this up for you. And the sense was, the words of the Lord was, because you gave it up for me, I'm giving it back to you. And so I proceeded to work for another uh, year in veterinary medicine. And then suddenly, uh, or two years actually, and then suddenly the Lord said, it's time. It's time. And a friend of mine came to me and said, you know, Loida, a guy came to, my, to the Seminario Evangelico de Puerto Rico. His name was Orlando Costas. And, and you know, he's at some place called or or, or, uh, Andover Newton, and you have to go study there. Hmm. I said, oh, okay. okay. And she says, and I'm going to go call the school, and I'm going to make an appointment for you and me. And I said, well, who invited you? I said, kidding around. Yeah. She goes, never mind. We're going to go together. And I said, okay. And so um, we, I made appointments in New York with my father. She made an appointment in Boston. And what was interesting is that I had already had a sense that I needed to move on this in May. This was around February or March. Something just said, move on this in May. And for me, May is a very critical time in practice mm. because classes are out, people are bringing their pets, and I make money. Yeah. And I said, May? Why May? Why not June? Why not July? You know, people are in the beach in July. Nobody brings their dogs. Yeah. No, May. So we made the appointments in May. And so we went to the States. And when we went to the States, to every single person that interviewed us, every single person, so we went to uh, the denominational leader in Puerto Rico, and we said, okay, we have a sense of call. What should we do? They said, well, we're going to suggest two schools to you, uh, Eastern 
or Andover Newton, but we really suggest Andover Newton because that's where Orlando Costas is. And then they said the following. You know, if you had applied two years ago, it wouldn't have been a good time, but this is a historical moment because schools are looking for people of color and they're particularly looking for women and you are women of color and you'll be able to get scholarships. What did I the say? The timing. The timing. Okay, so then we went to New York and we, we, we got interviewed with the denominational leaders there. We said, okay, so we, we have a sense of calling. What do you suggest we do? Oh, well, you should go to one of two seminaries <laughs> Eastern or Andover, but we really suggest Andover because that's where Orlando Costas is. And you know, if you had applied two years ago, you would have had a tough time, but this is the historical moment because they're looking for women and people of color. Same story. Same story. So we get in our car to go to Andover Newton to interview with uh, Orlando Costas. And his assistant had told my friend, um, you really need to get in time to this appointment. But she didn't say why. So we, we got on the road, you know, we left. We didn't know, I mean, two Puerto Ricanas driving from New York to Boston. We, this was before GPS, so we, we had no clue what we were doing. We borrowed my father's car. We get on the road. There's this horrendous accident. The Connecticut Turnpike is at a standstill, right? And so I, I make friends with a trucker. <laughs> on the road next to me, and we tell him what's going on. And he said, listen, get on the, on the side road, and I'm going to clear a way for you so you can get on the side road. And just there's a little bit of an exit further down. Do this, do this, do this. It's going to take you beyond the accident, and you'll be clear. And we followed his instructions. We got to Boston. We walked in. His assistant, that we then find out is his wife, Rosine Costas, says, oh, we're so glad that you got here on time because right after your interview with him, he's leaving to Latin America and he will be gone the rest of the summer until September. And I thought to myself, that's why it had to be May. That's why it couldn't be because if it hadn't, if it would have been in July, you wouldn't have been able to meet with him. That's right. Wow. So we we walk into this interview, and you know he interviews my friend, and she tells him, well, you know I've worked as a as an associate pastor. I'm in the Seminario Evangelica, and she's saying all the things that she's done, and I'm listening to her, and I'm so impressed with her, and I said, oh my gosh. So when he turns to me and he goes, okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself. I said, look, I'm so impressed with her. I really have nothing to say to you. All I can say to you is that I'm a veterinarian and here's my transcripts. And he looks at my transcripts and his hands start trembling. And he suddenly stands up and he starts calling out to his assistant, Rosine, Rosine. And, 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 my, and my friend and I look at each other and, and she tells me, what did you do? And I go, I don't know, I didn't say anything. And, and so we're trying to figure out what I did wrong to get this reaction. And he comes back in and he says, you know, here at Andover Newton, we give out five scholarships every year to minority students who have an entering uh, GPA from their undergrad of 3.5 or better. This year, we only had four candidates, 
And today, at the end of the day, before I left, we were going to return the monies for the fifth candidate. He says, congratulations, you're the fifth candidate. Fill out the papers. You start in September. I said, no, no, sir, you don't understand. I called him, sir, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. I, I, sir, you don't understand. I only came to find out information about seminary. I, I've got a life in Puerto Rico. I've got a practice. I've got patience. I've got to go back. And he said, no, you don't understand. You start in September. Fill no out, question. Fill out the paperwork. So I filled out the paperwork. I went back home. I wrote to all my, my clients, and I said, I, my, I regret to let you know that I will be closing my practice as of July 30th, 19, da, da, da. Wow. And I called the movers, and I got an estimate. And on August 15th, I was moving to New York City, and on September 1st, I was driving to Boston. Wow. to start at Andover Newton. That's an extraordinary story, and I was even thinking to myself, that should probably be a movie sometime soon. Because <laughs> some so. of the things that were happening, I was like, this, this can only get better and better. <laughs> so people that are listening, they're thinking, this is an extraordinary story, for sure. It is. But what kind of tips or advice would you give to those people maybe discerning or thinking of uh, pursuing a call to ministry? One of the best words of advice were given to me by the then um, um, uh, executive minister of La Convención Bautista in Puerto Rico, Jamina Polinaris. She was one of the first persons I approached. And I, one of the things I kept telling her was, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have a sense, but I don't know. And so she said the following to me, if you don't know, that tells me you have a valid sense of calling. Mm. Most callings start with, I don't know. So if you have an I don't know, you probably have a good sense of calling. So that's the first thing I tell people. The second thing I tell people is, you'll never know until you take the first step. So the problem with callings is that I want to know what the light is five blocks from now is it green or red yeah i can't know Unless until you go i don't one get block, red. yeah exactly and i first have to go the first block and so if you've noticed there were there were three things that i did number one i did enter into a time of prayer and discernment mm -hmm. but prayer and discernment is not a univocal individualistic or privatistic thing Prayer and discernment means that I entered into conversation with people who were wise and experienced. I talked with pastors. I talked with counselors. I talked with denominational leaders. And the other piece in there was that there was an affirmation and a confirmation of the community of faith yeah. that even extended that, right? people who were coming out of the woodwork almost, people who I didn't even know that were telling me these things that, mm -hmm. I, that I really had to listen to because they weren't crazy people. Well, maybe one or two. Sure. But, but mostly they weren't crazy people. And, and they weren't coming at me yelling or screaming. They were coming at me with very, you know, um, reasoned and calm demeanors and just 
saying, mira, esto es lo que hay. And I could have said no. And the, see, the other thing about all of this is that at any time, I could have said no. Mm-hmm. I could have said, God, you gifted me veterinary medicine. I'm going to stick to this. And I'm going to stick with that. And and it cost me eight years. It cost me money. It cost me, you know. Um, um, Blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, my gosh. It cost me uh, nights of no sleeping. It cost me weeks, right? It cost me tears, absolutely tears. Um, it's such an honor to be in this. There's so much I can do. It's a ministry of healing. Mm. Um, I have to say, I prayed over my patients. I had a dog that was hit by a car, and the person came to me and said, you have to save my dog, you have to save my dog. And I knew that the person was in a crisis. I knew it had nothing to do with the dog. It had to do with the crisis. And I took this dog whose prognosis was poor to none, and I took this dog home and cared for it and prayed for it and, and took it to, and I mean, I, I did good medicine, but I also pray and the dog recovered. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. So for me, veterinary medicine wasn't just a profession. It sure. was, it was a vocation yeah. as well. So I could have said no to the other thing. I could have said to God, no, this is my vocation and this is where I'm going to develop. But there was this sense of you're being invited to jump deeper into waters, to go into places that you have no clue. So you can be safe Mm -hmm. and do the thing that you love, or you can jump into unknown waters and discover untold things. And I decided to jump into untold waters. There are people who decide not to, and that's okay too. Sometimes it's a matter of timing. Uh, I know Those of people. Two years, like you mentioned. Two years. And I know of people who have come to me at seminary and said, I've had a sense of call since my 20s, and now I'm 65 and I've decided to pursue it. Mm-hmm. There are other people who have a call as a lay person. Not all calls are calls to ordained ministry, not all calls are to the pastorate. My call was to theological education. Um, so, so calling is a, is a, is a vast and myriad, varied, colorful thing. And I think that we do a disservice when we talk about calling as one thing or one time or one place. It's not that. It's an activity. It's, it's, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. My calling started, believe it or not, when I was four years old, reading in a children's Bible about Solomon. That's where my calling started. Um, But nobody listened to me because I was a child. I didn't listen to me because I was a child. And one of the things that I've done in my pastorate is that when children come to me and say, I have a calling, I listen to them. Hmm. And I find ways to mentor them so that it's not pressured on them. And if in adolescence they decide, no, I want to do something else, you, you go ahead and do whatever you need to do because it's part of the journey. So callings are varied. And one of the things that um, I have been now um, encouraging theological education to do is to open up theological training 
for lay people because lay people have callings. And we have made a mistake of making people think that callings is about ordained clergy. I think that, you know, some of the most formative people in my life were my Sunday school teachers. There were people who could barely read in my life who touched my life. Did they not have a calling? Of course they did. So, um, so calling is a very varied thing. Mine happened to take a certain trajectory, and, and I've had fun with it. Now, people have asked me, what does veterinary medicine have to do with callings? You know, what does it have to do with your ministry? Well, I have written an article that hasn't gotten published, unfortunately, and I'm going to look now to get it published, and it's titled Reading Against the Grain. One of the things that I learned in veterinary medicine was if you look at something with your eyes, you will misdiagnose. If you listen to the client with your ears, you will misdiagnose. So you have to see with your hands and examine that dog with all your senses, with your ears and with your nose and with your taste, believe it or not, and, and your touch. And so when a dog would come into my clinic or a cat, the first thing I would do is start running my hands up against their coat. And I once had a, a, a client, I brought in a dog and says, I, my dog is feeling listless and I don't know why. And as I'm running my hand up against the coat, I, I discovered all the machete cuts that somebody had attacked the dog and the owner never knew and the fur had grown over it. So it was all infected and nobody had seen anything, nobody, and I could smell it, I could feel it. Yeah. But if I hadn't used my nose, if I hadn't, right? Um, and if I hadn't watched and observed the dog's body language, I never would have discovered that. So in the same way in ministry, how many people didn't come to me with counseling and would say one thing, but I would not listen to their words. I would listen to something else much deeper. I would listen to what they were not saying. I would listen to their bodies. I would listen to how they walked. I would listen to how they sat. I would listen to how they, they looked. And that would tell me much more. See, so, so the skills that I learned in veterinary medicine, don't listen with your ears because you will miss it. Don't look with your eyes because you will miss it. Those, but All five senses. All five, and read against the grain. Yeah. When I look at text now, when I read text, I read against the grain. Who is, whose voice is not being heard? Mm. Right? Who's being invisible? Who's, being a, who's, who's not being represented? That's how you read text. What are the stories that are not being told? That's how you read the text. That's how you get to understand the meaning of the text. So those are the things that I learned in veterinary medicine and I bring into the ministry, and now I also bring into my job as, uh, as a theologian, and also, believe it or not, as a professor and as a dean. Thank you, Lloyd, uh, for sharing your incredible journey, which we hope to make a movie soon. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll call you when we get the funding. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I, this has been an, an honor and a privilege, and I wish you all the best as you start this new venture with HTI of Open Plaza. I'm, 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 I'm excited to see it uh, come to fruition, and um, 
See, Hispanic theological initiative is its own calling mm. and it's its own reading against the grain in society. So thank you all for the prophetic work that you're doing here. Thank you. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.